the things that I think we have to be very careful of as educators is just sending links of other people's videos because that's not what we are as educators. That uh, a principal administrators are going to see, well, one person's making videos for everybody. That's that's an issue. And I think it goes back to what I said earlier, connect. You have to connect with your students and connecting with your students is you on video. Welcome to my Run Your Life podcast series, and as always, I really do appreciate your time and energy and for tuning in to any episode that you can. I just realized when putting together today's show that this is my 125th episode, and it has been such an amazing journey over the last four years, uh, interviewing different people from around the world, from the world of education and beyond. And what I love is just hearing people's journeys and their stories and what it is that they have come to learn about themselves through their chosen field, whatever that field may be. And although this podcast is primarily focused on education, it's through the lens of education that I have lots of different guests on the show that might not be educators, but they're still doing pretty amazing things. Sometimes I have professional athletes on the show. I've had former Olympians on the show, best-selling authors, CEOs, lots of different people, including psychologists as well. But they're all doing really amazing things. And what's most important is that they have really come to better understand themselves through their craft. So I try to take what it is they've learned through their journeys and show how it's applicable to student learning. Uh, so that the educators listening to this can can learn valuable lessons from all the guests that I have on my show, even if they're not from education. In today's show, I feel really lucky to have my friend Dr. Aaron Beatley on. Uh, Aaron holds a PhD from Arizona State University and is currently a faculty member at the University of Kentucky. He is a leading advocate for our comprehensive school physical activity programs since 2006, and he has written more than 85 research-based and practical articles, as well as six books. His most popular book is Dynamic Physical Education for Elementary School Children. I think that they're probably in their 20th edition or 21st edition of the book, but he co-authored that with Dr. Bob Pangrazy, who is a very well-known researcher in the field of physical education and health. So Aaron has done some truly amazing things in the field of physical education through his writing, his lectures, and the talks that he gives. Aaron was first on my show. He was actually one of my first guests back in April 2016. So I decided to have Aaron back on the show to really dive deeply into a discussion about what quality teaching and learning actually is in PE. And whether it be face-to-face teaching and learning or distance learning, what do teachers need to think more deeply about in order to deliver meaningful learning experiences to students? And it was really interesting at the beginning of the episode, I asked Aaron to 
talk about what he used to think teaching PE was and what he now thinks it is based on his learning and what he has come to better understand about the field of physical education and the needs, actually the diverse needs, of the students that we teach. Aaron is a great guy, a genuinely good person who is very passionate about the work that he does. So I always really enjoy my discussions with him, and I'm really happy to have had him on the podcast again. So with that, let's jump right into my discussion with Dr. Aaron Beatley. Aaron Beatley, my friend, it's great to have you back on the show. Oh, it's great to be here. I love seeing your face. I see all your tweets and and things going on, so it's great to talk to you. Yeah, and for those that um, don't know Aaron and I, we've known each other since 2015, I think, 2015. That's right. Um, And I just want to give a bit of backstory about how we met. So I was teaching in Nanjing, China at the time, and I think it was Dean Dudley and I who had been collaborating. uh, Dean and I had been collaborating quite regularly um, at the time. Dean had mentioned that he had been doing some work with you or had had some conversations with you. And he's like, he's a great thinker in PE and you really have to connect with him. So I reached out to you and then we, we connected and then we started, I think we were voxing back and forth. And then during that time I was in, I had started my consulting. So I was doing workshops and stuff and I was in Shanghai about to leave. I was doing some work in Shanghai about to go to the APEC conference in Hong Kong and suddenly the APEC organizer says to me, oh, what, our keynote speaker pulled out. You know, we've got like 72 hours to go. Do you know anybody? And I said, well, let me throw it out there to Aaron Beatley to see if he wants to come over to Hong Kong. And I throw it out to you. And then three days later, you were on a plane, landed a plane. in Hong Kong, giving a keynote speech, uh, your first trip to Asia. Yes, exactly. So if you don't like anything I say, blame it on Dean Dudley and Ted Termetziglou, who had a football injury or something is why he had to pull out of the keynote. Yeah, Yeah, it was a whirlwind trip. I remember my wife and I made, uh, I think we were in the air for 38 hours and in Hong Kong for 48 because we had a weekend with no girls and, but it was great. And I'm, I'm thrilled that I did it. And I got to meet, I think it's the only time we've ever seen each other face to face, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's I, crazy. Yeah, what I, social media. What I appreciated about that it was an intense forty-eight hours, and you were presenting, and I was presenting. So we only had limited time hanging out, uh, having dinner, and chatting. And uh, I feel that uh, it, I feel very grateful to have met you because at the time I needed uh, mentors who were um, in the research field to really challenge the work that I was doing and be a sounding board. So you became that sounding board for me, bouncing ideas off you on what I was presenting and, and um, how I was teaching. So I really appreciated our, our connection and our friendship. So I had you on, go ahead. No, I was going to say it was, it was interesting that speaking that that's what you needed at the time. I was just starting to be exposed to the international world as well. And, and having you, a, I had a, a, students that were teaching in an IV program in the U.S. So that was helpful for me as well to start to understand that as well as the international world and meeting someone like you that was connected. So it's interesting how that um, what I needed and what you needed was was uh, simultaneously need was met. 
Yeah, yeah, that was great. And then we've continued, you know, and we go in spurts where we collaborate quite a bit and then we might not talk for a few months and then we we check up and see what each other uh, is doing. And so it's been go- great maintaining that uh, relationship with you over the years. You were on my podcast a number of years ago. You were one of my first guests, actually. Um, so I wanted to bring you back on the show and times have changed. Both you and I have, have learned new things and we have... I'm not going to say a completely new vision, but obviously as we learn more about our craft, we learn different ways to do things, you know, and um, our, our, the vision that we have changes slowly over time. So before we jump into a discussion, for those that don't know you, can you just provide some context, uh, who you are, where you live, where you work, and, and anything else you want to say? Okay. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, I am a professor at the University of Kentucky, but before I got here, um, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, north of Dayton, Ohio. Well, I grew up a little bit everywhere in Dallas and Denver and most of my time north of Dayton, Ohio, very rural, uh, very sheltered probably life. It was a great place to, to be raised. I, I'm happy for that. Had no intentions of going to college. And my dad said, came home and said, here, you're going to Northern Kentucky University. And I said, okay, I had no direction, had no idea. So I was a gifted student um, in that I was able to squeeze a four-year degree into six years at, at Northern Kentucky University. And and then I went to uh, Texas Christian University. Um, I'll touch on this here in a little bit. Um, and I got my master's degree in exercise physiology. And while I was there, I had a professor that told me, hey, you need to go see this guy present because I know you're interested in kids. And at the time, I was going to get kids fit. And so she just knew I was interested in kids. So she said, you need to go to this guy named Bob Pengrazy present. He's presenting at the Cooper Institute. So I went over to this workshop and within five minutes, I was like, that's what I want to do. And so I talked to him a couple of times during breaks and, and he said, well, if you want to get a doctorate, first thing you need to do, I'd never taught, hadn't taught yet. He said, you need to teach. And so I got a job. I, it was during the day, it was in 96. So there was no such thing as looking up jobs on the internet. It was, um, I got on the phone, I got a full phone book out. If you know what a phone book, I asked somebody over 40 and I called every school I could find and asked if they had PD positions. And I got two job offers and I took one to Episcopal school of Dallas and worked with two unbelievable teachers that took me under their wing. And then I went out and got my doctorate with Bob. I taught at Cal Poly Pomona in Los Angeles for a year. And then I moved to university of Kentucky where I do research and write and prepare teachers. And I do a little bit of coaching education as well. And I teach a class for classroom teachers on how to promote physical activity. And I've been here since Oh four. So whatever that makes it 15, 16 years, something like that. And, um, my wife and I, I'm married to Heather Irwin, who some of you may know is she's a, she's the, editor of the journal teaching physical education. She's a, she's the department chair here. She's a, an um, unbelievably productive and bright physical educator, um, at the university level. And we have four daughters. We're a blended family. So we have two 14 year olds and two 12 year olds. So we are busy Four girls, four schools this year. Well, yeah, they're all, I've seen the virtual picture. now, but over the years and the girls are getting big now. And yeah, they're, they're the, Heather's oldest is taller than her. So that's, yeah. So So we're busy before jumping into the discussion further. So when we reflect back on your early years and you say you moved around a lot, um, had physical activity, exercise and sport, despite moving to different places, was that a grounding 
kind of thing for you that kept you grounded and, and uh, gave you purpose and then led you to pursuing a degree in exercise physiology. So just talk about the role that physical activity, sport and exercise played in the early days and how that led you to study in university. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the youngest of, of three boys. And as a youth, I was painfully, painfully, painfully shy. Like I was put into special ed as a first in first grade because I wouldn't talk. Teachers would ask me questions and I just wouldn't answer. And they thought I didn't know. Um, and we outside all the time. I mean, that's just what we did. It was just, there was no inside there was no, um, spending. I mean, we lived in Texas a lot and then in Colorado it was the same thing. There was no such thing as, as bad weather. There was bad clothing and we were fortunate enough to have the good old moon boots and things like that when it snowed. And, and so we were outside baseball was a big part of our life. Um, and I played baseball, I guess probably since I was six years old till about 18. Um, and so that was important. And that was just part of what we did. Um, once my brothers were old enough and they were out with their friends, I mean, I had friends and we would play football and pick up, you know, um, basically what I did when I got home from school was go right back outside and play football, play basketball, play whatever we needed. And when, you know, we'd have rims that weren't straight and went, you know, we'd play basketball with a soccer ball. If that's what we did. And, and soccer was not a thing. Um, it is now where I grew up. It's huge where I grew up, but, um, so yes, physical activity was a big part and it, it, it's ultimately what read because I had, um, major shoulder issues, um, playing baseball and, and throwing too much probably. And so that led me to ultimately wanting to do at 18, wanting to do physical therapy. I thought that's what I wanted to do, but physical therapy wasn't then what it is now. And it was not offered and they didn't have the financial resources to go where that was offered. So, but it, so it ultimately led me to working in a fitness center and working and doing a camp there at the fitness center with kids. And I was like, man, I like this. And so that's what led me to my major led me. So again, it's, so it's kind of, so it did lead me to where I am. Um, so I could thank my messed up shoulder for that, I guess. Yeah. The old rotator cafe. Eh? Yes, that's exactly. I mean, I, I can't do anything now without them popping and snapping. And, and I was a catcher too. So I had bad knees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm nursing a, a bad rotator cuff from my quarterback in days for sure. It still kind of clicks and cracks every time. Yes, I, the whole way around. I mean, it's just, it, it, so I went to physical therapy and, and he put his hands on my shoulders and he said, lift them. And they go, he goes up. Oh, yeah, there's an issue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, there is. Um, so one of the things I think that you and I really connect on is the vision that we have. What I guess our vision is, vision is based on fundamental personal philosophy, you know, um, so I think you and I connect because we have similar personal philosophies about physical activity and sport and exercise and the role that it plays in, in not only our own life, but, but people's lives in general. Um, but you know, when we, we look at your career and where you started and, and where you are right now and where you're going, I just want to ask you this question, which is based on, um, the cultures of thinking Ron Richard's work from the Harvard school of education, and it's a thinking routine, which is um, that the teachers can do with kids, which is basically they explore a topic, they learn about a topic, but and then they do this reflection, which is I used to think this about the topic. I now think this based on what I've learned. So I want to ask you about 
what you think teaching physical education is. So I used to think teaching physical education was, and then based on your journey and your learning, I now think that teaching physical education is. So I used to think, I now think. So just share your, your understanding there. So I used to think, again, back in 1996, um, that what we needed to do was get every kid fit. I mean, I went as far as to my, I had a, a senior paper, again, my 60 year senior on fitness and youth. And then I went to TCU and I made it clear, this is what I want to do for my master's degree. And I did all kinds of other stuff in there and just crazy things in an exercise physiology lab. But I really wanted to look at, and, and I had heard a guy talking on a guy talked to me on the airplane one time and he told me the best thing you can do for a kid is to give them a self-esteem. And I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I stuck in my head. So at the time I was like fitness, self-esteem, that's what I'm gonna do. My district, my master's thesis on, and my master's thesis wasn't, what isn't worth the paper it was written on, but it did expose me. And I met Bob Pengrazy and, and I saw that it's interesting, you know, halfway through your master's thesis, you're like, wow, this is not a good idea. <laughs> we don't need to get kids fit. There's something else going on here. There's other variables. And they had published, Ben Grazie and Corbin had published a paper in 1992. And I was like, wow, I'm way off track here. But it was a great learning process. And it was just part of the journey. And and so and then that was, I was teaching. I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to get kids fit. Okay, I understand that. But I, I think I think we need to expose them to fitness activities. I think that's important. And then as I was teaching, I thought more and more. I was like, yeah, this is important. And I probably didn't get quite as far as I did. And then I got my master, when I get my doctorate, we really started focusing on physical activity. And we were using pedometers. And we wrote during my doctoral program, we wrote a pedometer book. And I mean, it was professionally the best three years of my life. I mean, I was just inundated, just in physical education, physical activity, how do we get kids more active? So I'd shifted from wanting to get them fit to now, okay, it's going to physical activity. And I always said, if as a field, and I've presented on this a lot as a field, we can say, ultimately our goal is we want kids to be active because there are health benefits, there's physical benefits, there's psychological. Okay. We can agree on that. And I think we're getting there. Then we can ultimately, then we can argue over how to best do that or find better ways and find different ways to do that. And I think we're getting there. So I'd shifted from fitness to physical activity and I still think physical activity is important. Um, but I think it's probably evolving a little bit, um, still into the, how we teach. And, and, and again, I, I write a textbook and, and I've, I've worked with this idea of, okay, so we have these structured lessons and is it, the structured lessons, I don't think are as much the issue anymore. I think they're, you know, the lessons we write and we have are great. I think that, but as we talked about earlier, I think there's this umbrella over these lessons that we teach that needs to focus more on the affective side of education and teaching to connect with kids and to, to, to move towards, if I can connect with a kid and, and, and find out that, wow, he really likes skateboarding. How can I relate some of what we're doing to him and skateboarding? And maybe we're not going to do skateboarding in physical education, but I can do other things and, and show them some of this. So I think I've evolved from, uh, what was your root? What was your so state? So, so far I got from you. I used to think that uh, every kid needed to be fit. I now think. I think that every kid should, should be led on a journey 
as in physical education to find their, I, I think the why maybe is a little bit overused. I use it a lot. Uh, I have a colleague, Greg Dreyer, that talks about your becauses and why are you active and help them on that journey? Because what they do when they're 10 is probably not what they're going to do later on, but that affective valuing, finding meaning in physical education. I know you've had Tim on once or twice, I think, yeah. um, Tim Fletcher, um, having that meaningfulness and, and providing them those experiences that they can take with them. Um, I think is where, where I am now that again, the lessons are there. I, I'm not suggesting, I, I think you can take the lessons from our curriculum, but still lay over, this net of affective instruction to focus on, again, I guess the why of physical activity, how does challenge relate, enjoyment relate, how can you connect with students, how can you provide them social support, those types of things that I think stick with kids long term. Um, but I think that's where I am now. So when I hear you describe your own journey, that's very much my journey in a nutshell, too, because I finished I had played college athletics I had played football I mean fitness meant everything to me um the the TED talk that I gave was all about how the role of physical activity not just team sport but the role that physical activity sport and exercise played in my life and giving me purpose and direction yet coming out of university and starting to teach I was very much fitness focused because it was so drilled in me that uh fitness and exercise was so important to become an athlete that I just wanted every kid to be fit. I wanted every kid to find the love of fitness that I found that saved me from a very dysfunctional past, you know, and I I quickly learned this was not working. It was a constant fight. And then in my head as a young teacher, I'm like, why don't they get it? Why don't these kids understand that I'm here to help them? I'm here to help them understand the importance of fitness and that if you're fit in life, you can do so many more things. And it became a, why don't they get it? Right. Exactly. And then I'm talking to other teacher, teachers, like these kids just don't get it. Right. Well, it's not that they didn't get it. It wasn't relevant. Yes. Right. It, 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 so, so that's how my journey changed and, and together we have this synchronous kind of journey that led us to this idea of, yes, we have to inspire kids to be physically active and then find an activity that really resonates with them that they'll do for life possibly. Yeah. And I think that's the, it's, if if you really think about it, it, it's the challenge of teaching is, is every class say you have 30 students in front of you, they all have a different story and they all have a different journey and they all, and, and trying to find that, while teaching the same lesson, you know, I mean, quote unquote lesson, um, I think is, is, is a challenge. And, and I think this focusing on the affective allows you to, it allows, um, all it allows to address individual nature in a, in a group lesson, basically, I guess, I don't know if that's said right, but, um, yeah, I was in the same boat. I just, I'm, you know, it's the same thing in a university class, you know, you teach a class and you give a test and, and, you know, 85% of the students miss a question and you think, man, they're dumb. Well, it probably was crappy instruction. <laughs> I mean, if, if the kids aren't getting it, it's, it's probably not. And I say this in workshops. Look, if, if 90% of your students have no idea what your instruction word, the problem's probably in the mirror, not the students. Yeah. And it really is. And, and it's, it's focusing on that and, and trying to 
get to it, and, and I think another thing that has evolved and maybe you're going to get to this, but for me in this whole journey is that I was doing it to them with fitness, even some with physical activity, but now it's moving away from that and, and really focusing more on when you do this affective and you have this net, um, over your lessons, you really have to connect with kids. I mean, it have you have to, you can't, I mean, you could go in, in my, I, 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 when I was teaching, I was young and dumb. I probably didn't connect well enough with students. Uh, I've got, I don't know where it is now. I've got a video of myself teaching. That's just painful to watch, but, um, it, it, there just wasn't a lot of connection. It was like, good heavens, Beatley smile once in a while. Don't you love what you're doing? And I, you know, I didn't send the message. I love what I'm doing to kids. I mean, that's the first thing when you're trying to sell something, you got to send the message that you love it. And I think that whole connecting with, with students is probably one of the biggest evolutions that I've made that I didn't do a good job early on. I think I did at the university level. I think I connect and get to know students and that kind of thing. Heather's really good at helping me along the line. She's really great at getting to know students and it helps tremendously. I mean, it, it, it's, I just don't know how we, how you teach without connecting. And maybe I'm wrong in that. I just think it's, it, it just seems like a huge piece of this because if you're going to help them on an individual journey, you have to know them as an individual. And what you're saying is creating psychological safety. So kids are not going to feel psychologically safe if they don't feel as though they belong. So if no time is invested in really getting to know them, then they're not going to feel they're cared for. Um, and they're not going to have that sense of psychological safety to give it a go and to have it have a yeah. have a have a go at whatever it is the teacher is uh, trying to get across to the kids. So when you look at because what you're saying is like every kid has their own personal narrative. Absolutely true. You have your own. Heather has her own. I have my own. However, that doesn't mean that there needs to be, because there's 30 different kids in front of you or 20 different kids with 20 different narratives, that doesn't mean we, mean we need 20 different lesson plans. So right. what you're talking about is casting a net, a framework. You know, have your lessons, but cast that framework to plant the seeds for psychological safety and all kids to flourish. So in order for teachers to do that, what do they have to let go of within themselves? Yeah, I mean, what you let to let go your 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 own, um, I guess, in some senses, agenda. I mean, like you said, and I mean, you know, at the time when I was young and dumb, I was working out and doing all these things and doing things I probably shouldn't have done because of my shoulders and things. And you just think, gosh, everybody needs this. Or if you're a runner, everybody needs to run. Or I like soccer, so everybody needs to play soccer. Or I like basketball, so every and and that's not about you at all. And it's a lot about getting rid of, of, of all of your, I mean, you know, it, it, it's, you know, you, you probably as a teacher, it's hard to show, not show more enthusiasm of something you love, but you have to get rid of that. It's not about pushing kids what you like other than your love for physical activity. That's the one thing that you probably can push, but it's going to look differently for every kid. And that's the thing that I think is, it's hard as a teacher because teaching is so personal I and mean, teaching. I mean, that's why when you go in, when I go in and do works after work with teachers, you have to understand that, that I can't go in and say, Hey, get rid of your curriculum and use mine because that curriculum that developed is theirs. It's so personal. But if you can tweak some of the things you do as a professor, as a professional to start 
getting rid of the mirror about what you created. And it's more about what the students are creating, which it's tricky. It's not, it's easier said than done, much easier said than done because again, it's so personal. It's I got into this because I love soccer. Well, most kids don't. So, or most kids do, but there's a few that don't. I mean, those are the types of things that, that are so hard as a teacher. I mean, I love baseball, but eh, I mean, you can play a lifetime of baseball and take like nine steps and not get much movement. So, you know, no offense to anybody that plays baseball, but I'm so failure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I played in, in the olden days, I played softball and, and you know, I, I, I was old and couldn't run. So I, I was a catcher, but yeah, I mean, it, so it's, it's not as much about me as much as seeing this is about connecting with a kid and finding out what makes that kid tick. And, and I just did a podcast yesterday for Gopher. And that was the whole purpose of, of what I talked about is how do you get to know a kid? And the first way to get to know, a kid, I mean, how do you connect with kids? And the first way to connect is get to know them and don't forget. And again, you can't go overboard on this, but share about you as well, because I think there's that, there's the old, I don't know who said it. Um, kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think part of that is, is sharing who you are and you can't be that guarded. Don't smile till Christmas person. That doesn't help connect either. Yeah. One of the things that resonated with what you're saying. And when I think back to my first um, PE teaching job internationally, um, I felt so incredibly lucky to land this job at the Hiroshima international school in Japan. So I had worked there for a number of years and you know, I was still, I played football for the city team in Hiroshima. I was one of the only foreigners on the team. Football still meant everything to me. I was playing competitively and come hell or high water, those kids needed to learn football, man. So I had my PE. That's what everybody does after 18, right? <laughs> for my PE budget, I was like, I got to buy some footballs. I got to have footballs. And then I'm doing this unit on touch football. And then I got some flags and, and then, and, and we're talking a, a culture, which was, there were very few North Americans in my PE classes. It was mostly Japanese, Koreans and Chinese. And then we had some Europeans and yeah, sure. Maybe the kids had fun trying to throw the football and then I'm trying to teach them, you know, three downs, you know, four, <laughs> you know four down, 10 yards and do all of this. And because yeah, I was so passionate about football. And then I did that my first couple of years and, and it was clear the kids didn't like it. And, but and that doesn't matter. <laughs> you no, know, it doesn't matter because I love it. And that's what defined me. Therefore my kids need to learn it. Yep. So that's, that's what we're describing. So my question to you about what do you have to let go of? I absolutely had to let go of my identity as a football player, yep. uh, as a PE teacher. And you had to let go of your identity as a baseball player, um, yep. as a PE teacher, I didn't have quite the identity as a baseball player as you had as a football player. I wasn't that good, but <laughs> so it was a little easier to let go of, but I did have to let go of it. But it's still that idea that we, we bring yes. these, these loves and these passions into our teaching, which is awesome because that's what we need to do, you know? Um, but it's also cause you and I have had these conversations about some of the things we're seeing on social media and, Another example I can give is a former teacher that I used to work with who was super serious and passionate about CrossFit. And he would wake up in the morning and run for 10 or 15 Ks before coming into work. Then he would teach CrossFit every single class, regardless of the unit. He would teach 
CrossFit for the first 15 minutes as a warm-up, and we had 65-minute lessons. He taught middle school. His heart was in the right place. He wanted yes. kids to be fit, but he was up there leading the lesson with them the whole time. And then in the front row of the class were the athletes. Yep. In the back row were the non-athletes, and there was no differentiation whatsoever. Yeah. So I tried to have these conversations with him, and he just shut down right away because he said, no, no, these kids need to build their core so that they can then participate in any sport. And if you look at my athletes, they have these great cores, and more kids are joining sport now, and they have the strength and stamina, and they can play these sports now because of what I'm doing. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, so we, we had some, some differences there, but it is that idea of, of letting go. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's the idea of, of a, some balance obviously, but the, this idea of doing it to kids and, and it's, you know, the stand and deliver it's, it's, I mean, it runs its gamut in university classes as well as death by PowerPoint, that kind of thing, where it's the same idea. You stand up and you deliver it to kids. And then as soon as you're not there, a few of them still do it, but most of them don't. And that's not what we're trying to do in, ed- in, ed- excuse me, in education. So, you know, it, it does take getting rid of what I want. And oftentimes the fitness model is always, I mean, it's usually stand and deliver. I mean, that's just the kind of the way it's gone with aerobic classes and that kind of thing. But, um, I I think there's, it's tough. I mean, it's, and if you, if you've been doing this for a while, it's really hard to change and say, you know what? I can still get that. I can still include some of that CrossFit. Great. I can, I can still turn kids on to that and get them to do that but it's not my whole program and it's not a stand and deliver. There is differentiation. There's letting kids have choice in the matter and putting autonomy and letting them make the choices on what do you like? What don't you like? And, you know, sometimes in, in a PE lesson, sometimes there's going to be things that the kids don't like. That's just, that that's, and, and that's part of it, but it, you know, it, it's much more palatable if you're letting them have choices in it. And, you know, some kids don't like team sports. I have one of my daughters that anything that has to do with a ball, she don't want anything to do with it. She'll dance, she'll do other things, but no ball. And so in PE, she hasn't had PE in middle school yet, long story, but she would do it. I mean, she'd be compliant and do it. It just wouldn't be her thing. And that's okay. She might end up finding something that she does like. But I think this this mindset of doing it to them, and this is what I like as a teacher, is therefore you will like it. It just gets gets messy. And, and if, you know, I think that's part of the, like you said, with your fitness, if I think I talked about this last time on when I was on here, this book, No Sweat by Michelle Seeger mm-hmm. is great for getting this to help reshape your perspective on what fitness and it's good for everybody. And those types, it, it's probably not good for everybody. So let's, let's have a little fun here. Okay. So let's, let's take, cause we, we, we all need to build our programs on important outcomes. Mm-hmm. Right. And the outcomes look different depending on which outcomes you're drawing from your outcomes and standards. But let's say that there's, there's some really hardcore fitness outcomes in there and that teachers feel pressure to meet these outcomes. So an outcome might be um, that kids need to understand how the body changes during exercise, just for example. Um, or they need to understand specifics about how heart rate changes during exercise, what high intensity looks like, you know, uh, the impact that high intensity exercise has on the, the heart. 
Okay. So whatever the outcome is, I'm just throwing some random things out there, but one teacher might interpret that and say, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have big, my big screen TV set up in the classroom. And then the kids are going to come in and they're going to roll a dice and they get number four. And if they get number four, then they have to do 20 jumping jacks. And if they get number six, they have to do uh, the plank for one minute that type of thing, because they feel that they have to teach these outcomes through actual fitness, like the way you would go to the gym and do fitness as an adult, or the way I would go to the gym and do fitness as an adult. However, if we interpret an outcome very loosely, right, what are some things that, that the teacher can do to open up choice and voice and give a variety of options yet still hit that outcome. Yeah. I think, uh, for example, with the heart rate, I, I mean, let kids take heart rate during any activity, if that's what you want to. And, and, and some, you know, again, they talk about this in the, that book, no sweat, that high intensity activity is not enjoyable for some people. It hurts. They don't like it. And, and that's okay that, that, that you don't have to do those types of activities. Now, I think there's some educative purpose or to, to, to teach them that like, look, your heart rate is really high and you don't like it. And that's okay. Some people, you were probably this way when you were little, I was not, you just love the stuff that made your heart rate go up and just oh, sweat and breathe hard. And oh, it was awesome. And some people don't like that. And, and I think you can teach those concepts and do, if you want to do fitness activities, it's some, sometimes do fitness activities, but also showing them that you can play basketball and get that same result. Or you can, you can play soccer or, you know what, archery, sometimes it might make your arms hurt because of lactic acid pulling and those types of things. And, and there are other ways to get that across, those concepts across. Again, I'm not as adamant. I know you don't like those activities. I'm not as adamant on liking those activities. I, I just told you this the other day. I just saw a group of adults in our CrossFit gym, there was no one else around. There was only like two people, three people. And they were taking playing cards. I'm not kidding you. And they were flipping it. And then they were doing that many repetitions. And that was their activity. And they were loving it. And because they'd never been exposed to it. It was like, man, that's been around for a long time. So there is some relevance to it. But it has to be a variety. I think you, you can you don't just teach that that heart rate concept with just fitness. Because that's not the only way. And some of it is using terms like exercise. You use physical activity, you know, and, and, and you can do these activities that you enjoy that will help your fitness. But if you're not doing them to improve your fitness, it's not really exercise. So, you know, I think some of it's terminology. I think some of it is teaching the concept. Like you said, somebody might choose to do it with a, a playing card game. Some might choose to do it with basketball. Some might choose to do it and trying to think like gymnastics and say, does your heart rate go up? Why or why not? And that's the way it can be taught relatively easily um, and, and address and have the same outcome with some questions. And as you know, you do a lot more work with provocation than I do, but I think those are the types of things that we can teach those same concepts with a variety of different activities. And I would think, I, I think maybe you can address this as well. I would probably encourage a teacher to teach heart rate with a fitness activity as well as another activity, if you're going to teach it so they can see the difference and see, especially as they get older. Yeah, and I think what you just said unlocks the handcuffs for many teachers. 
because really when you're looking at it, because the any kind of fitness outcomes, fitness and health outcomes are interpreted as though they have to be under the umbrella of the health-related fitness unit, and it has to be fitness-related. So it has to be done through calisthenics or jumping jacks or the plank or push-ups, modified push-ups, sit-ups, uh, uh, the, the, the pacer test, this and that. But it really doesn't have to be. And the, what you just described in the gym is a perfect example. And you said we were on WhatsApp the other day and you were telling me about that. And, you know, many people who know me know that I, I am driven crazy by teachers who interpret health outcomes as must. It must be fitness based activities. You must keep the kids moving the whole time because that's what they need to learn. But what you just described right there in the kid, in the adults, the three or four of them turning over the card and then, oh, seven. Okay, I got to do seven uh, clean and jerks, like even if it's without weight, you know, just weightless yeah. clean and jerks, whatever it is. Okay, so what you have going on there is personal relevance because it's, yep. it's meaningful to them. You have... Um, motor competence, but you also have social interaction. So they're enjoying that uh, activity through social interaction, being with others, having... And they chose it too. And they chose it, yeah. So in a health-related fitness unit, or not a health-related fitness unit, but if you're worried about health outcomes, why can't you actually have two kids or four kids playing 2v2 basketball high intensity for 15 minutes like you said other students maybe through gymnastics getting their heart rate up other kids doing something else of their choice and then the ones that really want to do the plank and the beep test are doing the beep test but does every kid in the class have to do the beep test no they don't no and and, and i think you know i i think there's also a, a missed opportunity when we're doing fitness activities that we always address a fitness outcome as far as what is what is flexibility or how does this work flexibility and what are the benefits of flexibility as opposed to going back to some of this affective and say what makes you enjoy this or not enjoy this and 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 getting kids to you know at a younger age they just love everything so you know just let me move and i'm great but when they get into middle school and high school to start asking them what do you like i mean my oldest daughter says i, I cardio is not my thing but I will do some things like she's a dancer. So she will do faster paced dancing. I was like, well, okay, great. You keep doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get into the nuances of that is cardio, but you know, that, you know, that's not, that's what she likes to do. So, you know, and I think we missed the opportunity to, to tie this into um, enjoyment and, and all these other things that you're talking about that fitness can, can be done. Like you said, those adults were demonstrating a lot of the components of meaningfulness and motivation and, and that's great. That's what we want. And those concepts need to be pushed as much as, or more so than the fitness concepts. I mean, you know, the fit principle is one of those things. I can't, I can't, I, I, I again, I, somebody's going to bash me and email me or whatever, email Andy Vastly if you don't like my comment. Um, but the, the fit principle is like, well, is that really, do we need that? Is that that important? I mean, maybe for some people, but, and it's confusing. And what's the difference between type and type and, and what's the difference between muscular strength and muscular endurance? I mean, try to explain that to a third grader. I mean, I have a master's in exercise physiology and I still struggle. <laughs> you know, it's like, what is this? So I think there's lots of concepts we can teach with fitness activities that are more long-term than just flexibility fitness concepts. 
Yeah, and it's again, these things are important to understand, but they can be um, through multiple different lenses, and yes. that's what we're getting at here: is is being flexible and agile in the way we interpret outcomes, and being flexible and agile in the way in the experiences that we offer our, our students to help them create, as Kretschmar says, their own personal narratives where physical activity, sport, and exercise is somehow embedded within that personal narrative where they see themselves, I am a cyclist or I am a gymnast or I am a tennis player because they have found that love through their exposure to their experiences in physical education. So if we segue into, um, because I didn't want to go down the route of like distance learning or face-to-face learning, I wanted to talk about quality physical education experiences first, which is grounded in solid pedagogy, right? Yes. But if we go down the route to, um, go down the route, because many teachers listening to this might still not know if they're face-to-face or virtual. So let's just say virtual. So for those teachers that are they know they're starting the year with virtual learning. How do you describe a quality virtual learning experience in PE? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good question. That's, that's a toughie. We're um, all rookies here too, right? Yeah, exactly. No one knows this. I mean, there are people on, and on Twitter. Oh, I've been studying. No, you haven't. This is, no one knows how this works. I mean, so, um, uh, you know, I, I think the the first thing I would say is kind of what we I alluded to a little bit earlier is that anytime you're working with other human beings, I don't care if it's education or what it is, whether it's virtual, face to face, whatever the model is, I think connection is huge. And is it more difficult to connect virtually? I think so. But I'm not convinced kids think so. I mean, I, I think kids like the face to face. I mean, I, I think our girls are about tired of it as well. But I think there's something to be said that this is kind of their language, their native techie speaking. And so they understand this and they FaceTime with each other and that kind of stuff. So I think if you are virtual, I think finding a way to connect with them last year, what we had, I guess, again, up in in the U S and we had the benefit of you had had three fourths of your year with them. So you'd felt some kind of relationship with them. Now it's going to have to be done virtually and you might not know the students and that kind of thing. So um, I, I just did a, a short blurb podcast for, for go for yesterday on this. And, um, I think the, any, if you have packets that you have to send home and your kids don't have technology, then have them draw what, what they did over the break, what they want to learn, have them write. If you're older kids and they want to write poetry, let them write poetry, figure out some way, just asking them some prompts of what did you do? Those types of things. And then once you get it back, you'll be able to connect a little bit with them. If you are have some technology, have them make videos, make videos themselves. I, I one of the things I like to do, I'm going to do it with my university students this semester, is I'm going to have them email me or Canvas, whatever they use, whatever we're using, um, three words that describe them. And and I, I've done, I've had a teacher that told me he was going to do this with his elementary students because if you give them, tell them they can send you a video, they'll just some of them will talk for 25 minutes. And you don't, you know, just random ramble on. So give me three words that describe you and, and three words of things you want to learn, those types of things. And getting them, again, pictures, stories, um, videos, those types of things, I think is a great way. Without it, you can't connect. So that's my first step. 
without a doubt to connect. So what I would think physical education would look like, I, I, I think, and again, I I'm open to people think I'm nuts. That's all right too. Um, I think the first step, and one of the things we've talked to some teachers last spring that worked so much better, what they were trying to do is get kids on Zoom for 10, 15 minutes, and it just wasn't working. And parents were having, a, it was a nightmare because parents were trying to figure out, okay, this kid needs to be on here, this, we have one computer, how we're going to do this, is when, when a class meets Zoom with their classroom teachers, ask the classroom teacher if you can get on just to do a five-minute break. What we found is the classroom teachers like this because it what's hard is those first five minutes of zoom because everybody's, you know, nobody knows what to do. So if you can get them up and doing an activity with you and the teacher leads the activity just a few minutes, then take a minute or two to explain what, what's going to happen in the next week for physical education. What are our outcome? What's the outcome? The outcome is I want to find out what activities you enjoy. So you're going to go to this website. We use dojo or whatever you use. And here's what's what you can do. And I'll send you a link. Make sure you go to this. There'll be a link from your classroom teacher, those types of things. So you let them a little bit of activity. You might even teach them a skill if there's something related to that. And then, you know, again, see you later. So you've got them for five minutes and then you've created your own videos. One of the things that I think we have to be very careful of as educators is just sending links of other people's videos because that's not what we are as educators that a a principal administrators are going to see, well, one person's making videos for everybody. That's, that's an issue. And I think it goes back to what I said earlier, connect. You have to connect with your students and connecting with your students is you on video. It's uncomfortable. Yep. But welcome to it. I mean, we're used to seeing ourselves in zoom. Now I've seen myself more in the last six months than I've ever seen in my life because of zoom. So do some videos, not a long video. I mean, you're not doing a whole workout. I don't expect kids to follow along with me. I'm not their entertainer. I'm here to teach them a little bit and give them some information. And then you follow that up with, with your assessment. And and this is one thing, again, I mentioned in a, another podcast I did go for with Gopher is I think this is a great time for us to give assessment back to students and we taken it from them. We, we just, you know, we, oftentimes we do assessments and sit it on a, on a filing cabinet and never do anything with it. Tell the students. So here was the outcome. The outcome was to show me activities or to understand activities I enjoy or to, to discuss activities I enjoy. So give me a video or take a picture of activities you enjoy doing, or, you know what? I taught you, um, jumping this week in, in, the, in the classroom. We talked on some jumping, show me some activities you did jumping this week and, or, or write a poem about jumping. If that's what you like some way to show that that's the outcome you understand. So what I've done is a, I spent time connecting, but my first part is I didn't ask the kids to do any more time with me. I've just gone to Pete, gone to the classroom time because that's, that's, and, and then I've tied the classroom time to PE to PE. Then I've done some PE lessons and videos that students get to see. And then I've got an assessment that ties back to that. It can be, you know, you could do show me. So your outcome that week could be rate your enjoyment of three different physical activities. So then in your lessons, you talk about different activities they can do. And then their assessment is they show you an activity they like, and they give you a ranking one, two, or three. And again, I would tell you use Dojo, but I know every school is going to be different. So whatever platform you're using, Canvas can work. All these can work if your kids have access to, to show videos. Now I know realize some of you are going to say, my kids don't have internet. Okay. Then you can send home packets that they can draw. They can draw the activities. They can figure out other ways they can write them down and rank them. There's ways to get around that. But I think this is a way for us to start tying 
instead of trying to get a half hour of physical education in on a video of them watching us and it's miserable and the kids turning it off and kids doing all other kinds of things, this is a way to extend and really get more PE time. And when students come back from this, you can do the exact same thing, except for you're going to have longer in PE time. And, and again, one of ways, you know, I, again, in the U.S., everybody, we want more PE time. We want more PE time. One way you can get more PE time is connect it to outside of PE so they're doing it more. And that gives you more PE time where they're getting more repetitions and more refinement outside of PE. How about that for a, a professor answer that took too long? That didn't that didn't take too long. That was that was well well thought out and a lot of ideas shared. And what I would say first of all, just to reinforce what you said, is if if you are taking if you're a PE teacher teacher in distance learning, and you are simply taking a video link from another teacher, and then having your students watch another teacher lead an activity, that's the quickest way to lose your job. It's dangerous. Yeah, it's so dangerous because you are basically saying that I can't get this done so that I have to go find videos to keep my kids busy in their own homes. So that's the quickest way to lose your job and the quickest way to send the message that even though these teachers care about what they do, really the message that they're sending is I don't care enough about what I do to personalize it for my own students. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, I, again, I, I, I don't want it to come across as bashing, but I, I think students love you as a teacher. You are the king and queen of fun in your school. They love it and they want to see you. That's the one thing we found out from the spring is, is surveying to students here and talking to them is they really want to see the teachers. So I, I think it's great that, that we built this. So they want to see you let them see you. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah. And I think it's scary because the reality is most of the time we teach in our gym and no one ever sees us. And now everybody's going to see how we interact with kids, but let them, you're good. You do great things and, and it should be your great things that you're doing. Again, there's nothing wrong with sharing a video, but if you do share a video, make a video of yourself explaining how that relates to your outcome or piggybacking on that, those types of things, because I think that's where the connection happens. So you've, again, as I said, you've connected in the outcome of the classroom in your classroom, you connect the outcome with the video you're going to do if you do, and then you connect the assessment. So all three of those pieces are connecting. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, just an idea that I want to share back with you, because when you're saying make your own videos, let's say it is a health related fitness unit. And let's say um, that you introduce the outcomes uh, by video screencast or whatever it is to the kids so then, you know, it doesn't require an 18-minute follow me doing jumping jacks uh, to my count. Really, what we can do at this point is say, okay, so you know that uh, what we're going to do now is for the next week, you're going to have a choice of three different videos. One of the videos is going to be me doing an 18-minute choreographed step dance uh, aerobics thing. So if you want to just follow me along, that will be this video. The second video will be how you can, can go outside and, and meet this outcome through uh, some type of ball sport. The third video will be some individual pursuit. So it's essentially creating four videos for the week. 
the yes. video introduction, which all kids will see. And then they branch off into, if you want to do a follow this video, if you want to do B follow this video, if you want to do C follow this video. So teachers listening to this might feel overwhelmed, but that is 30 minutes of video that you have to create for a week. And that is yeah. your And you can probably reuse those later on. I mean, you know, not the next week, but you could, and, and, and again, going back to the fitness thing, it could be, if we're worrying about, you know, base of support or muscular strength or whatever you're focusing on, let them pick. And like you said, send me a video of something I haven't thought of as a teacher that you think works muscular strength or just a picture or draw a picture or an activity, describe an activity that you did. And again, it gives it back to them to tie that outcome with something that not even related to fitness. I mean, they might think of, I went and climbed a tree and you're like, right on, you did go climb a tree and that's perfect. That's what we want. And you're outside, it's adventurous. You're with your parents or you're with, you know, obviously assuming there's some sense of safety, but I know uh, risk is another variable to talk about. But um, I think that again, gives it back to gives the education back to the student. And again, I'm not one that says all the kids control everything. I think we're teachers. We know what they, what, what needs to happen, but we have to use that quote unquote power with some sense of, um, um, discretion to know that we need to give it back to them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So now let's segue into, so as we move to the end of the podcast, segue into face to face. So I want to start by, I just want to share with you some work that I'm doing with some different schools right now and how they're going to deliver the first unit in PE. So I'm not saying this is the only way to do it, but this is the way that we have decided is best based on their own context. So uh, there's a school in um, Asia that's going to do this, and we're going to do this here as well. So it's this idea of beginning the year in the classroom where the if the teacher has two PE classes a week, they're in the classroom, and the very first lesson of the year is how has this COVID pandemic impacted you and how has your life changed as a result of it? So of course they're going to go in and do some quick energizer activities, but the real unpacking is change the concept of change and responsibility and, and getting and really getting the kids to talk about how this has impacted them. And then the next lesson is based on how this has impacted you. What are your responsibilities now in regards to your own actions. So this is the social distancing thing because spatial awareness is the concept because the kids are going to have to understand spatial awareness. So their responsibilities are to socially distance from their peers for these reasons. So after week one, you get the unpacking of change and responsibility, these conceptual lenses, right? That are going to frame up the whole year because this shit is not going away, right? They have to understand change and responsibility. So that moves into the second week, which is going to be to draw out essential agreements. So in the first unit, which is going to be personal skill development, individual pursuits, whatever that means to the students, the the teachers will unpack. But then from weeks two to eight, we're going to go with an eight-week unit right until fall break with this as more information comes in and we know what's happening. So it's not going to be team sports or movement composition or anything. It's, it might be movement composition within this unit, 
but it's going to be very much personal skill development. So then moving into that next week, you draw out these essential outcomes and the kids are going to have a PE pack. And I know Gopher has some PE packs going on. So we're asking our kids here and the school in Asia, uh, skipping rope, a yoga mat, four tennis balls, so that the kids can then work on, they'll be exposed to uh, lots of different opportunities with a yoga mat, uh, skipping rope, and tennis balls, so that they it's all about personal skill development. So an exploration of these things. Yeah. So one week will be devoted to yoga. The next week will be devoted to skipping. The next week will be devoted to hand-eye coordination. But the great thing about the PE pack is that they keep it in the classroom. So now if you're socially distancing in the classroom and you have a two-square-meter space then you can, the teacher can use it as brain breaks to skip and to work on yoga or tennis balls. And then the second half of the unit, the last four weeks, the kids will narrow the focus into one of those areas. But we are looking at the conceptual, uh, the concept of self-improvement and goal setting, spatial awareness, mindset. Our mindsets need to change based on the new context of life you know so so that's that's kind of where we're where we're going and how we're going to do face to face so the assessment is more about about kids reflecting on their own actions that were unpacked in week two but yeah yeah so no this is i mean it's i i guess what i'm again it's something you and i've talked about a long time ago back in an era when i did blurb five minute blurb is this idea of the same idea and i keep doing this as if the people or listeners are going to see me um with my hands but it's this net going over not only the affective but there's these concepts that are going over and it's the same that that concept can go over virtually any lesson again the idea of having their own set of equipment and everything's built around that set of equipment is huge because we don't really know where things are going the other thing you you mentioned is this whole idea of spatial awareness and it's fascinating to me that spatial awareness, it's nothing new for us. I mean, you know, that we hear, oh, we got to teach kids spatial awareness. It's like, well, physical education, we've been doing that for a little bit. And we, they understand that. And, and, and I think those concepts, and, and it's, again, it goes back to what you're saying. Physical educators, you as physical educators, have developed a plan that you can take to administrators and say, this is what we're going to do. Because if we don't do that, we're going to be told what to do, or we're going to be told you don't exist. And you're going to be walking kids to the bathroom to make sure they're socially distant. And so, and, and I think we have to do whether we're virtual or you're face to face or you're transitioning, I, we need to create plans that are specific to your environment. As you said, these are specific to the environment and go to them with this plan because what you're teaching it could, if, if, if COVID had never happened, you could be teaching the exact same thing. You just tweaked it to be in their environment with the equipment and some of the activities. But the idea of the affective is there and this overriding concept of individual and, and, and pulling that apart is still there. That's, I think what we keep thinking is we have to change everything. The, the, the foundation doesn't change. It's just maybe the, the, the little bit of the activities is what's changing. And the idea of the, the PE pack in this first unit is that if a second wave hits, the kids pick up their pack, they go home, and then we're Nothing changes. learning, and they are still on track with the unit. Yes. That's why we're yeah, giving ourselves permission. What's important here, Aaron, is that 
in the IB world, we in the PYP, the primary years program, we have to run six units per year. We are giving ourselves um, the right to say we're not doing six. We're actually going to scale it back to probably four or three. And, and then we'll embed the outcomes from the other units within these three units, three or four units. But based on the context and this pandemic, we need to be realistic. So um, we're going to extend this personal skill development unit face-to-face right until October break. And then we can then decide what to do next. So we're not, yeah, you could, I mean, you could, in theory, I mean, you're, you're minimalist enough with the, the pack. And that was the purpose of what we did for Gopher was this idea of having a, that if, if you go face to face and all of a sudden we have another outbreak, just take it home and every, nothing yes. changes. Yes. And it's the same idea. You could do the same approach, different concept, big picture concept, same affective net over everything, different net for concept, four different pieces of equipment and do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Which is huge. That's that's awesome. That's great. I, I really like that. So we're looking forward to kind of rolling that out, and uh, I'll let you know how it goes. But yeah, that'd be great. Segue to the to the end of the podcast. I want to ask you, and this is kind of my in times of uncertainty theme: is what has kept you inspired during this time? You know, and what has kept you going, and and what have you? But also, what have you struggled with? And then that's where the inspiration comes to remind you about what's most important. So just share what has kept you going and what has kept your fire lit uh, in times of darkness. Yeah, it, uh, I, I will say, I think one of the things I've, I've enjoyed and is, is being around the girls and, and my wife more. Um, we're all, I work from home usually, but they're home. And I think that's been great. I've had times where I struggle from a little bit of motivation deprivation where I don't feel like doing much, but I will say, I think, um, connecting with social media has been helpful. Um, as I, I, I don't know if I said it on here, I connected, I've, I've met, um, a guy named Greg Dreyer and Alex Becky and Declan Hamblin, I believe, sorry, Declan, if I messed up your last name, um, from Kingston university and they do a, a Friday, um, just a chat. It's, it's, it's fascinating for me. Um, they're all from England, most of them. And, and I'm just the outsider listening in. Um, but it has been a, a look forward to, they're all on leave now. So they've left me all alone. Um, but now I talk to people from Saudi Arabia, so it's even better. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, there it's been expiring and I tell them it's the best part of my, I mean, it's, I look forward to it cause I've got other meetings and things. Um, so it's, that has helped. I mean, I, I think that has, um, helped and knowing that, you know, there's, there's, uh, a light probably at the end of this, I am not one that likes change typically, but you know, one of the things that it, it just, it keeps changing, it's like never knowing what's going to happen and, and it's frustrating at times, but I think there's also something in that to, to keep the, the fire lit a little bit, not knowing and, and, and keep thinking and trying to figure out how to do things and hearing things like yours is, is, is your idea is great as well. So seeing those ideas, seeing teachers, teachers online that are being inspirational and those types of things I think are helpful as well. Yeah, that's, that's great. And uh, I see on your wall right now. So for those listening, you can't see the video, but on your wall, you have the word thrive. And I know that's a very important word to you for many reasons. And your keynote speech in Hong Kong kind of outlined that. But talk about the word thrive, what it means to you, and then we'll move into where people can find you on social media. 
Yeah, the, the word, it's a long, little bit of a long story. Um, I have a, my middle brother passed away at 45 years old. And um, in one of the, his, his favorite songs at the time of his passing was a song by Casting Crowns called Thrive. But before that, I had always thought it was a great word. And uh, his passing has kind of had, has led me to, really reflect a little bit on what's important in life and, and those type. And, and it's a daily reminder to me, every email I used to have it in my signature was thrive. And I don't put it in my signature anymore. I physically, I, I type it every time. And it just is a reminder to do a little thrive is it's a great word, but it, it basically means to do more than just exist. And it's just a daily reminder. It doesn't always work. There are some days I just exist. But it's just a daily reminder to, to do more than just exist and, and to be more than just a, a, a taker of things on while on earth. And and produce instead of just consume. Yeah, it, that's a great. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, yeah. you know, I think it was Muhammad Ali said something about services are rent for living on earth or something to that effect. I just butchered that badly. But um, it's the same idea. And, and it's it's just a, it's, again, it's just a way to remind to have it there. It's. I've got it. Uh, if I get it, I'm a, I've got cups and all kinds of stuff with it on it. So it's just it's it's a, it's around a lot. It's been around for about uh, probably eight years or so. So I I just keep with it. Yeah, that's important. Those reminders because then it connects to this idea of the personal philosophy which drives us and yes. forward, and the personal philosophy that we reflect on at the end of the day to say did I try to thrive today or did I not? And if I didn't thrive, why didn't I? If I did thrive, yeah, and, and, why did I, right? Yeah, and, and not a day goes by that I don't send an email. So it's always there and it's obviously on the wall in my office and that kind of stuff. So I, I you know it, it's it's always there. So I, I it, it helps. And I, again, it doesn't help all the time. I, 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 don't, I have my days, but it, it's just a, a daily, like you said, a reflection tool. Yeah, that's, that's life. We all have our days. But where can people find you on social media? Um, I, I'm guessing when they saw this video, my name is pretty jacked up. I'm at Aaron Beatley, A-A-R-O-N-B-E-I-G-H-L-E. Hang on, hang on, hang on, because... For the first for the first six months of our friendship, <laughs> you Aaron Beal, and yeah. and then you finally said to me like, hey, "It's Beatley," and I'm like, "How the hell is your name spelled B E I G H L E?" Yet it's pronounced Beatley. Phonics book yes. at the window on that. No, one. no, and, and that's what when I was teaching, I never let. I didn't. You know, they put one to put it on the wall. I'm like, no, no, no. The kids will never pronounce it. That's why my wife's last name is Irwin as well. Um, so yeah, but it, so it's B E I G H L E. Um, so it's A A R O N B E I G H L E, and it's just a Twitter. My email is B E I G H L E at uky.edu which is a University of Kentucky in, in Lexington, Kentucky. Okay, great. And uh, as always, it's great to reconnect with you. And uh, I really appreciate our conversations. And uh, we haven't spoken in quite a while face-to-face, so this has been a pleasure. Yeah, and, and, and let me just say thanks for what you're doing. These uh, Most of you listen, people listen to these podcasts. I don't know how long you've been doing these or how many you've done. I probably should know that based on, on the feed that I get, but... Thank you for what you're doing. This is a lot of work, and it's a, I know it's a labor of love, but I appreciate what you're doing for the field and, and connecting us with people beyond physical education as well. I just listened to one of your podcasts. George, what's George's last name from Canada? Carlos. 
Yes, while I was mowing the other day. So thanks for that. That was awesome. <laughs> Made mowing go fast. Yeah, awesome. So I so, appreciate what you're doing, Andy. Yeah, thank you very much. Just stay on the line. I'm going to close out the show, and I just want to have a couple words with you. So okay. I, thank you very much for listening to this episode with Dr. Aaron Beatley, and I hope you come back to listen to future episodes. 